Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. Today, we're going to consider a puzzle. And I'll tell you up front, obscured by 2,000 years of history, this this puzzle is probably unsolvable. Yet, because it invites us to grapple with the choices that faith nudges the faithful to make in spite of the complications of life, this puzzle is worthy of consideration. In the Deuteronomy text that Will just read, the people of God, which by the grace of God includes us, the people of God are instructed to love God and follow God, to reject false idols and hold fast to the one true God. The challenge is, what does that look like in real life? Real life is complicated. God's call to us is simple make choices and take actions that further God's inbreaking reign of justice and mercy. Simple, yet complicated. After the sermon, we will share communion, the simple meal in which God is our host and our feast. Talk about complicated. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. First, the puzzle of today's scripture reading. Since we have this long weekend, we're going to read an entire book of the Bible. (laughs) That literally is what today's New Testament reading is. Don't worry, it's the shortest book of the Bible. It can take you longer to find it than to read it. Before reading uh, Paul's letter to Philemon, let me note what little we are sure of about this book and its puzzle. And then I'll lay out two questions so you can listen with them in mind. We are sure that this letter was actually written by the Apostle Paul. He's in prison when he writes it. We don't know why or where or when. A young man named Onesimus has somehow connected with Paul, converted to Christianity, and become a beloved apprentice of Paul's. Then something, we don't know what, prompts Paul to send Onesimus to a church leader named Philemon. Stuck in jail, Paul can't accompany his apprentice, so he does the next best thing. He writes a letter for Onesimus to carry. (laughs) And what a letter. It is a tactical masterpiece, playing every angle and pulling every string. Traditional interpretation holds that Onesimus was Philemon's escaped slave. But Pauline scholar Beth Johnson emailed this to me, I am not at all sure that Onesimus has run away from Philemon. All Paul says is that he may have wronged Philemon or owe him a debt. Greco-Roman slavery is so complicated, it could be just about anything. The more crucial issue is, what does Paul want Philemon to do? Forgive Onesimus, free Onesimus, enable Onesimus to continue working with Paul? That's the puzzle's first question. And Paul writes 
as Paul writes on behalf of an enslaved person who's being sent back to the man who enslaved him, what is Paul's ask? The more intriguing second question is, what happened? Did the letter succeed? If so, this tiny document shows how God gives individuals, Paul, Philemon, Onesimus, us, God gives us opportunities to make choices and take actions that, despite the complicating imperfections of life, let us participate in the inbreaking reign of God. Hear now Paul's letter to Philemon, which begins with a classic style of ancient greeting. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Apphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. One more thing, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, so what was Paul's ask? And what happened as a result of the letter? Those were our questions, and that's the puzzle. I told you it was insolvable, but let's explore, because within its complication lies a simple truth. For our first question, here's Beth Johnson's take on Paul's ask. The critical line in the letter is verse 16, no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, a beloved brother. It is considered particularly shameful to enslave one's brother, so I take this as Paul's request that Onesimus be manumitted. Freeing a slave would have cost Philemon, but Paul, paying the high price of being jailed for the gospel, has no qualms saying, you have everything, Philemon, a house big enough to accommodate a church, plus all the privilege that goes with wealth. You have a community, Apthia, Archippus, and the rest of us. You have faith, and you have the opportunity to take action that will entail some sacrifice, sure, but it'll nudge the world toward alignment with God. You can deliver Onesimus from slavery. I think that is Paul's ask. What Paul does not ask is, how can we allow the evil that is slavery? He doesn't denounce that appalling sin. Instead, Paul's letter to Philemon was used by Southerners to justify the Fugitive Slave Act. Pro-slavery forces called it the Pauline Mandate. It did untold damage to untold people as it perpetuated the rot of America's soul. And it came from this document. Now, if Paul had written an anti-slavery treatise, it might well have spelled the end of the nascent church. Rome (laughs) would not have tolerated some religious sect agitating against its economic backbone. So what seems like a simple move would have been complicated. I can't defend Paul's silence on the sin of slavery. I will note that instead of being paralyzed by injustice he couldn't fix, Paul applied himself to what he could do. He could live his faith and inspire others to live their faith by doing, in his words, all the good that we may do for Christ. It's easy to be paralyzed by all that we can't fix, whether it's gun violence or fascism or a climate crisis causing flooding from Pakistan to Jackson, Mississippi. But instead of being paralyzed, can we do as Paul did? Take seriously the difference God invites us to make? the actions we can take on behalf of others, the sacrifices we can make for a good beyond ourselves, the choices we can make and the steps we can take to help align the world with God. 
That's Paul's focus as his letter negotiates in Christ's name. We who are in Christ are called to rise above the world around us, Philemon. It would be easy for you to continue treating Onesimus as property, but uh, that's counter to God's justice. Instead, take this opportunity to embody God's love, to enact the good that you can do. Paul did not call for an end to slavery. He wrote on behalf of God's alternative, equality. He called upon fellow Christians to rise above the norms surrounding us and seize every opportunity to embody the reign of Christ in our choices and actions. As for our other question, what happened to Onesimus? The letter offers little clues. It's addressed to Philemon, but also to Apphia, to Archippus, and to the church in your house. And its sign-off mentions five more people. Do you hear Paul gathering an audience for this drama? Philemon is the one with the power, and thus the responsibility, to act. But Paul assembles the whole faith community. All those named people are watching to see Philemon do the right thing. <laughs> Don't you love this bit at the end? One more thing. Prepare a guest room for moi. In other words, I plan to come see for myself how this works out. Beyond the not-so-subtle pressuring in this letter, the single greatest clue to the situation's outcome is the existence of this letter. I mean, if I get a letter from my mentor asking me to do X, and I don't do X, I'm not going to keep the letter. <laughs> and this letter survived. Why would someone hold on to this little slip of papyrus? And how was it included in an early collection of Paul's letters, eventually making its way into the Bible? If the letter had failed in its mission, delivering Onesimus back into slavery, the letter would not have been kept. On the other hand, if it delivered Onesimus into freedom, what a treasure it would have been to him. And here, friends, we're going to sail from hypothesis into pure speculation. <laughs> Did Onesimus return to work with Paul? Paul writes, I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me. Our puzzle doesn't reveal whether Philemon took the hint or not, but if he did, and a freed Onesimus returned to Paul, then Onesimus might have become a leader in the early church. Others who were mentored by Paul did. Some 50 years later, a Christian named Ignatius was being transported to Rome to be executed. He wrote to the Bishop of Ephesus using verbiage strikingly similar to the verbiage of this letter to Philemon. It's like Ignatius is riffing 
on that earlier letter, as if reminding the bishop of something that they both know really matters. And this bishop of Ephesus was named Onesimus. That is fact. It's pure speculation to think that a young man converted by the Apostle Paul and maybe freed from enslavement thanks to Paul's letter on his behalf, would then return to serve with Paul, grow in faith, and decades later, with that all-important letter still tucked in his wallet, become bishop of Ephesus. Ephesus, the very city where one of the earliest collections of Paul's letters was published, a collection that, rather bizarrely, included this slip of papyrus, the only surviving personal letter of Paul's. Did Bishop Onesimus of Ephesus publish this letter because he treasured it for 50 years, knowing it to be a testimony to what Christ had done through Paul and Philemon, an example of how human choices can enact the reign of God. There's no proof of that whatsoever, and it annoys me to no end to have to tell you that Professor Beth Johnson puts no stock in that story. When the great Frederick Beekner died a couple of weeks ago, one of the quotes in the news was how he had described the gospel as too good not to be true. And for me, the Onesimus puzzle is kind of like that. Too good not to be true. And when we come to this table, to this holy meal, wherein God is our host, and our feast, where all are equal and all are welcome, online, in person. We engage with what is too good not to be true. That's why this feast fuels us as we heed God's simple call in this complicated world. Church, it's easy to be paralyzed by the evils of the world. It's easy for us to conclude that what we do can't make a difference. It would have been easy for Paul to do that too. Instead, he took seriously that he and Philemon and Onesimus had, like us, opportunities, indeed responsibilities, to make choices and take actions that embody the love of God. Details of daily living complicate that now, just as they did 2,000 years ago, just as they did for Moses and the people of Israel. But God's call remains simple. Rise above the complications and do what you can to participate in God's inbreaking reign of justice and mercy. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. 
You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.